Hey everyone, welcome to episode 6. On this episode, I am going to be interviewed, in a way, by you. Well, some of you. I'm truly appreciative of the learning value that comes with listening to the experiences and insights of others. So, I've decided to put myself on the receiving end and be the one answering questions from you. So today, we'll touch on curiosity, lying, anger, attention, tools of personal rediscovery, the meaning of life, the future of this podcast, and more. As always, thank you for giving me your time and listening to the show. Summer is now on the backside and coming to a close, and very soon fall will be with us. With that comes football season, tailgating, back to school, and the dreaded work week. It can be extremely hard to juggle everything while still making time for yourself. Having a solid self-care routine will undoubtedly make your life better. And one of the best forms of self-care is physical activity you get from a dedicated and planned fitness routine. The overall health benefits from physical activity can lead to increased energy levels, cognitive function, and self-esteem. And it also aids in reducing anxiety and depression. There is no better time than right now to put that renewed focus back on your physical health. And my amazing friend, Michelle, has put together a plan that you can start on today. Whether at home or in the gym, she has it all laid out for you. So I want you to head over to hardtodisposefitness.com and check out the six-week transformation program Michelle has created. This is an excellent program for beginners and athletes alike. Again, that's hardtodisposefitness.com and get the six-week transformation program. Not only will you be supporting your overall physical and mental health, you will also be supporting a veteran-owned small business. And if you need more proof of the results, you can check out Michelle on Instagram or TikTok at bomb.shell1. That's B-O-M-B period C-H-E-L-L-E, the number one and see for yourself. Oh, and also show some love for Tango while you're there. That site again is hardtodisposefitness.com. Check it out today. Curiosity. You know, curiosity is a good thing. Nah, that's a lie. I think curiosity is a great thing. It's a characteristic, right? That's driven by a strong desire to learn. And curiosity is also a word that we generally associate with children in their childlike wonderment. It happens to also be a, the name of the planetary rover on the surface of Mars. It's a um, cartoon monkey in children's books. And curiosity is also the thing that killed the cat. Now, all of my life, I've been a curious person. As far back as I can remember, I can vividly recall curious moments. I was the kid that would take apart a motorized toy immediately after getting it just to see how it worked. And also, if I could put it back together again, and usually resulted with extra parts. Or when I saw something useful, or something I wanted, but I couldn't afford it, I would become curious as to how I could replicate it on my own. Now, as an adult, I'm probably more curious than ever. I'm ever desiring to learn more. Now, recently, it's been more process-focused. I've been curious on how to improve processes for, you know, increased optimization and efficiency, whether that's workflow, communication, budgeting. But I've always had a desire to learn and understand more about people, and more specifically, the mind. Like, why do we do the things we do and say the things we say? Why are we the way that we are? And why are some people, you know, wired differently than others? And it wasn't until a year ago that really understanding human behavior kind of forced its way back into the forefront of my mind. I had come out of a highly abusive relationship and I was left emotionally, financially broken. And I was utterly confused as to what had just happened to me. In the time since, I began to learn new things, new terms, new insights. Things like... What is a narcissist? What is emotional abuse? Why do people abuse others? 
And why is this affecting such a large amount of the population, and yet we hardly discuss it in comparison to current events? It was a new quest for learning that I was going to embark on, and it was one that profoundly changed who I am today. But, like all moments of curiosity, if you haven't picked up on it already, it starts with a question or questions. Questions, they're the starting point of all future knowledge gained. In a nutshell, when we ask questions, we learn. It may not be what we wanted to learn or expected to learn, but we still learned something by asking it. As a species, our knowledge is cumulative. With each generation taking, you know, the knowledge of the previous and then they build on it. Algebra, for example. Somebody in the past invented that. We don't have to. All we have to do now is, you know, learn it and apply it. Psychology, the field of psychology, many in the past have discovered new things. We just have to learn them and we build from them. Now, along the way, with each subsequent generation, new people will contribute, will invent new ideas, methods, processes. Then this cycle is just going to continue. And the learning and discovering along the way all begins with a question. Now, I ask a ton of questions daily. And for a while, I was mostly asking them myself and not really getting anywhere with it. But as I continued to ask questions, I would continue to learn more about what happened to me and why it happened. I learned more about my, my ex who abused me and why she did it. Oddly, I learned more about my ex in the year after the relationship ended, after it had ended, than I learned in the five years preceding it. But why that is? Well, that's a topic or another show. Now, my greatest source of knowledge in this area has actually come from asking questions of other people, other victims, other survivors of abuse. I would learn new insights into my mindset, new methods to protect myself better legally and emotionally. I would learn from their experiences and how they think and see the world. Cumulative. I get asked a ton of questions now. And previously, I had been more focused simply on answering them as thoroughly as necessary, but then I'd move on to the next question. But as I was thinking about topics for future episodes, I began by asking people what they wanted to hear. The responses were more questions on an array of topics. Up to now, I've been sharing my experiences mixed in with factual data, but mostly on emotional abuse because it's something that I know about personally. And while my thoughts have been simply my opinions and feelings and interpretations on certain matters and behaviors, I haven't really just answered questions that others may be looking to hear about. So for this episode, I'm you know, just going to do that. I'm going to pass along my insights and thoughts and share my experiences based on questions that have been asked by you, just as I have relied on you to do for me in the past. So I've compiled a list of questions out of the many that I've received over the past few days, and I'm just going to answer them. No rehearsal, no scripting, just reading them off and answering them. Again, these are my opinions, how I feel, well, except for the parts that are factual and true. So let's kick this off, actually, with the first three questions, because I think they all tie together. Um, how do you deal with a partner who lies and gaslights? What do you do when you discover their first serious lie? And do you give second chances to liars? Okay. Um, what, how do you deal with a partner who lies and gaslights? Well, for me, I confront it. I confront the behavior right off. I will, I will call someone out for lying, especially when I have everything right in front of me. Um, if they gaslight, you know, by telling me, oh, I didn't do that, or, you know, trying to shift the blame back onto me for even knowing it, um, I'm going to call that out. And that's actually going to just, uh, I mean, realistically, it's just going to create um, a conflict. And if you're dealing with someone who has already shown that they're willing to lie and that are willing to gaslight their way out of it, you're most likely going to have unresolved conflict. Um, 
How, do I give second chances to liars? Well, clearly I have in the past. <laughs> um, moronically, I believe. But um, I think going forward, um, I'll be very hesitant to do that. Um, it would have to involve a conversation immediately. You know, what, if the lie has been addressed and, the, and there's no gaslighting and there's a conversation afterwards um, that, you know, is a healthy, productive um, conversation and it, and it, you know, kind of leads to actions that are going to, you know, happen and they do, well, then, yeah, I mean, then it, just having that conversation alone uh, is beneficial and I think worthy of a second chance. Again, it's situationally dependent. I don't, you're going to have to put a lot more into the um, situation, you know, where, where's the relationship at um, is, you know, is, you know, does this person, you know, willing to do the things that they say, have they, you know, again, there's a lot going into it, but again, dealing with it, I address it immediately, address the behavior. Um, if they gaslight, you know, it's either going to just, it, you just end the conversation there or, or it's going to escalate. Um, so that's just best to get yourself out of it. Uh, second chances, if, if there's a healthy conversation afterwards and it's going to produce results, or you at least both are agreeing on um, actions that need to take place, then yeah, I don't see anything wrong with uh, giving a second chance. All right, next question. Uh, how do you deal with anger? Eh, that's a good one. Um, in the past, not very well. I would, um, I would allow my, my buttons to be pushed, and, um, and that would usually escalate whatever conflict that was going on. Um, I did always strive um, to to keep things on topic. Um, you know, if people were dead set on getting you to that point, uh, and 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 you let them, um, they're you know, it's you're just gonna say things you don't mean at times, right? Now, um, I I recognize it. I recognize when I'm angry, when I'm frustrated, and I sit with it. You know, and I and I kind of circle back. Why am I mad? Why am I, why am I angry? What is, what is, what is, uh, anything that I want to do going to do about it? Uh, is it going to change anything? Is this anger useful? Um, so I just, I sit and I sit with it. And I process it or I'll, I'll call up a friend or, or a colleague, you know, depending on the situation. Um, and you know, just like, Hey, I got a vent, you know, here's where I am. And I just kind of get it out. Right. And, and usually if you're talking to somebody that 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 has some understanding or some sense, uh, they can help you, you know, kind of walk through that. And that's and that's the benefit of having healthy people in your life. Right. Having a good support group, having healthy people with good outlooks and understanding of situations. So dealing with anger now in the past um, would occasionally let it get the best of me uh, going forward. I, I sit with it and I try not to. Um, project it onto somebody else. Um, you know, there's times for it. it just depends on the situation. But um, I tend to, to not do that. I mean, if I'm going to be angry with something and I'm going to lash out at somebody, it, it needs to be in a productive way um, so that they know that I'm upset, but at the same time, I'm not, like, demeaning them, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to address behavior or something that needs to, you know, be changed depending upon the situation. All right, next question. Do you think abusers can be happy? Why or why not? Um, no, I do not think they can. Um, abusers, emotional abusers, or any abusers for that matter, they function on self-hate and low self-worth, which is why they have to control uh, another person or, or, or the situation, all the above. Um, from my experience, they are extremely negative individuals. Um, they're, you know, demeaning, ridiculing, humiliating others. They're driven by external validation. Um, they can be, they're mostly obsessed with their appearance, whether that is physically or perceptually. I, you know, they have a delusional sense of reality, you know, but mostly built mostly on either direct lies or omissions of the truth. Um, they have no real identity, right? I mean, we talk about this. Uh, they resort to mirroring. 
in order to feel like they are someone. Um, and they in, ensure that way that they're at least accepted and get attention from whomever they're mirroring. Um, and it also, you know, is a, is a manner of controlling. It's part of that love bombing, right? So, but they're never happy, right? Because they keep doing it. They're habitual. They, once they lose that control, once they lose that power in the relationship dynamic, they just jump to another one, right? Now, victims don't do that. Victims don't hop around from one right to the next. No, abusers do that. And that's why it's easy to see in a, in a relationship dynamic which one is which. You know, you have a very, I doubt any time you'll have an abuser that goes on it and, you know, an elongated process where they're trying to figure out what just happened to them, whereas the victim just jumps and, you know, leaves them for someone else and then goes to someone else and then someone else and mirrors along the way. I mean, no, it's very clear to see what those roles are, right? And it's, it's that power dynamic. So they want to control. They're not happy. They hate themselves. They have low self-worth. And in order to feel better um, temporarily, they um, assert dominance in some way by abusing others. Next question. What do you consider cheating in a monogamous relationship or marriage? That's a good one. Uh, short answer, probably the answer. Um, if you are um, emotionally involving yourself uh, with another person, opposite sex or same sex, and you're hiding it from your spouse or partner, you're cheating. And cheating is not just physical, it's also emotional. And it usually starts emotionally before it becomes physical. Um, flirting, snapping, messaging, emailing, texting, calling. If any of that is being done secretly, behind the back of your spouse or partner, you are cheating on them. Now, uh, what's another one? Uh, yeah, do not disturb. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, using, the, using the do not disturb... Um, to hide alerts, or if you're deleting texts, or it, again, anything that's being done to conceal what you are doing, um, because you know that it is wrong, um, it, well, it, it's fucking cheating. Let's see, what tools have you found most helpful in rediscovering yourself? Um, therapy, therapy, therapy. That's the number one. Number two, uh, friends, and it, it and a core group of friends, and in, and I mean the friends that will challenge you, the friends that will listen, the friends that are impartial. Uh, having a core group, whether it doesn't matter if it's two or three, um, it doesn't have to be big, but having a core group of friends that you can go to, that you can vent to that you can open up to and be vulnerable with and they will challenge you you know by holding you accountable like hey you're going to do this you're going to you know hey next week talk about this or 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 I want to talk to you more about it. or maybe you should reconsider the way that you're looking at that why don't you look at it this way challenging you in a way that helps you grow um those have been the two major tools uh for me um, right off the top of my head, uh, second has been, or third, I'm sorry, third would be, uh, the talking to other people and, 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 um, getting their insights and, um, support groups, uh, hearing from others. They're going to, there are, everybody does things differently. And some people are doing things that you may not even consider until you hear it from them. Other pe people have been through what you've been through. People have been through different things, but, um, you know, their healing or their outlooks and their processes, hearing what those are and finding things that you can start immediately putting into your own life and seeing whether it works. It's, it's a, you know, trial and error kind of thing at times, but um, it's an invaluable tool is the experiences of others. So those three things, therapy, friend group, experiences of others. All right. Do you find yourself journaling or self-reflecting on a regular basis 
to identify opportunities for growth? And do you do this on a time basis or after specific situations? Okay. Um, I am not a standard traditional, I guess, journalist. I'm not getting up. I don't, I don't do it daily. It's not something I do daily. So I guess it's not uh, on a time basis. Mine is more specific situations or, or based upon how I feel. Um, I hate writing. God, I hate writing. I have always hated writing. I hate it, hate it, hate it. I hated doing it. I hated any time I had to write an essay or, or, or write a paper or whether it be for work or school. I just loathed doing it immensely. If you, I hated it. Um, but I found that I'm good at it, and I have been doing a lot more of it. Um, I have written so many notes, uh, emails that were never sent. Um, well, God, when I found out word had a, a dictation button on it, Oh, that was a game changer. Um, I could vent, um, put it on paper and then I could straighten up my thoughts and I could, um, go back, which I've done. I've gone back and looked at the things that I've written a year ago and the way that I felt and how I was uh, uh, thinking about things and, and my outlook and my approach and just the rawness of it with, with what I wrote. And then I see where I am today and how much I've grown. I can see that for myself. It was a really good kind of self-assessment tool. So I, I highly encourage doing it. Um, for me, it's been, it's been more regular lately. Um, and that's just kind of um, getting my thoughts out as, as, as they come to me. So again, for me, it's situational based or mood based, um, not necessarily because of an event, although I will do it after uh, certain events, but um, it is productive, it is beneficial, it is therapeutic, and it is excellent um, uh, self-reflection tool. So yeah, journaling, awesome, do it. Get good at writing. Um, I hated it, but now I'm kind of liking it. Let's see, does your ex still try to get your attention or smear you yes and i don't know so yes she still tries to get my attention uh she mastered the use of uh those anonymous instagram viewing websites uh, kind of very early on in our split uh we had each other blocked on social media um and she was very vocal right about I'm no contact, uh, but that really only meant that um, I was prevented uh, from speaking to her and uh, that she would then communicate with me whenever she wanted and however she wanted. So that's what no contact means to an abuser. Um, and then all of a sudden, my Instagram, uh, which I wasn't really using much uh, up until then and then, you know, started, but all of a sudden I'd get bombarded with these like sex bot accounts that would like my stories or that it was viewing my profile or that it had followed me. Um, and I kind of, I took that, I took that to my, you know, I had to have, I took that to my kids and I'm like, Hey, explain this to me. And, and they're like, Oh no, 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 that's because of these, these sites. And then they kind of educated me and, and those little bot accounts are very specific. Okay. They're very specific accounts that do this. And, um, those are the telltale signs, right? When these, uh, sites, uh, have, uh, when someone's used that site to view your account. So that's the residual thing that's left behind. Uh, it's not anonymous totally. I mean, there's still, I mean, if there's only one person doing it, you know who's doing it. So, yes, it is entirely immature, and it defeats the purpose, right, of blocking someone if you're then going to still, you know, send a signal that you're looking at them anyways. And I still get these. I still, still get these same ones. And over the past few days, it's been nonstop. Hell, today, as I'm recording this, uh, this very day, it, I, I had like 11 um, by, you know, 2 p.m., uh, which uh, is my ex-wife's passive-aggressive way of informing me that she has most likely posted up something that she wants me to see, which I guess that's now part of the I don't know uh, answer, and it's uh, I don't know if she's smearing me, nor do I really care, right? She can do, she can say whatever she wants. That's She's clearly been doing that since we were together, but it just says I'm free to do and say whatever I want. Um, and I'm, I, I just, I don't, I, I gave that up. I don't keep up with everything that she does. 
right? But I do have some friends and I have people that enjoy checking on that circus that she's currently presiding over. Now that they're, you know, now that, and more, now that they're aware of, you know, mirroring and the mirroring she's been doing and the extent of the abuse that was meted out over the years. Uh, but I, on, and I honestly, I don't mind knowing some of the things because like I've said in a previous episode, you know, she continues to be an incredible case study on how abusers operate. You know, the very same things you know, she did to me in the beginning are publicly playing out now in her current relationship. And the only difference is um, and she wasn't constantly seeking the attention of her, you know, first husband when we started. Well, not that I was ever aware of. Uh, with the current situation, though, she's been in, well, she's been in two relationships since we split up over a year ago and has been in the second one now, I think uh, nearly a year, even though we've only been divorced, I guess, six months. Um, and she's still actively seeking my attention. And when a person, right, when a person is actively seeking the attention of someone else, they are, you know, pretty much seeking to have or keep some level of an emotional connection with that person. And this is problematic you know, when that very same person that is seeking an emotional connection with someone else is in a relationship with another person. So if you are seeking an emotional connection with another person, you are not emotionally connecting with the person in your relationship. But that also creates a massive relationship insecurity, if your partner is even aware of it. And they will be on some level. But this is, again, how abusers operate. It's a prime example of how they create an insecurity where the current victim begins to feel they need to act in a way, right, that they can earn the emotional connection and the love from that abuser. Because in private, you're going to be told that you are loved. You'll be shown love through physical affection. But you're now being denied the emotional connection that's necessary for your relationship to even survive. So... Those, you know, those victims really, or the, that person is going to begin to do more and they'll say more in order to prove that they are deserving of the emotional component that uh, the abuser is, you know, brazenly showing that they want to have with someone else. And it's been a pattern. It's a pattern with my ex. I mean, her relationships all start the same way with her establishing some kind of level of insecurity for a relationship. And they all end the same way with her abruptly leaving for someone else. In the case of both of her marriages, she cheated on both men in the very beginning, told them about it, and then love-bombed her way back into forgiveness. But all that did was create a lack of trust and security from the start. But that was then used to blame them later for even having it and would, you know, be used as a reason to exit the relationship later. You know, it says a lot. It says a lot uh, when a person has multiple exes, right? and They've all said that the only things that they really got out of that relationship were serious trust issues in therapy. So, um, yeah, I, look, I don't, I, if she's smearing me, I don't care. Um, is she still trying to get my attention? Yeah. It seems like, yeah, she, she still tries to get it. I don't know why she wants it, um, but, you know, she, she's not getting it. I don't care. All right. Naming your abuser. Was a bold and brave move. Do you worry about what your ex may try to do as a result of it? Uh, I don't worry about it at all, honestly. I actually sleep better at night now that I did it. You know, it was something that was weighing on me for a long time. Um, and I know that by naming her publicly, um, I, you know, opened the door to some measure of uh, retaliation, but I'm not worried about it. Uh, mainly because I just don't think she's going to do anything. Um, that's not a challenge. That's not a hold my beer moment. Um, she just doesn't want any of this going near a courtroom for any reason. As it then opens a door for everything coming out and her being exposed for what she did. I mean, she would have to defend it under oath. So no, um, she'll do what you know, narcissistic or just emotional abusers do. Um, cry out to an echo chamber, play a perpetual victim, and, you know, talk about how crazy and obsessed I am for sharing my side of the story, or that I'm a liar, but never really provide proof or f will fabricate the proof to support it. 
Um, again, look, it's just, it'll, you know, it, what, everybody's got like a 30-second mind, uh, you know, time span or mind span, uh, you know, soundbite generation. So it'll just be a strategy of, you know, just wait it out until people are no longer caring or focused on it and then, you know, move on with life. You know, she doesn't care. You know, she really doesn't. Um, like other abusers, and they don't, they don't. They care about themselves and they only care about who they can use. What was the uh, relationship dynamic like in your abusive marriage? Hmm. Okay, uh, real quick, uh, three, three things, three things. First thing, uh, one-sided, right? It was one-sided. Uh, we were not, a, it was not a team or a partnership. It was one-sided. Her, her wants and needs uh, were always prioritized. Um, let's see, uh, examples uh, that I can come up with. Um, uh, let's see. If we wanted to go drive and visit uh, my kids, it was almost always met uh, with either she couldn't take off work, even during COVID, or we couldn't afford to make that trip, or she didn't want to take the dogs on a long trip, even though we had someone who would watch them. So um, I would either have to go on it alone or just not go at all. And it was usually the latter uh, because I was uh, short on funds with paying for everything else. But if her mother called uh, and wanted her to come visit, which would mean driving further, which she would most usually have that trip planned and just would inform me when we were going, dogs included. Um, but she went. She would go on those. So, you know, her wants, her needs, those were priorities. She would, or she would even make other plans for us that would prevent uh, going, going anywhere else, such as like a business event or meeting up with friends. And, oh, it was just too hard to match up schedules. Or, you know, it was just always something. There was always something that was more important um, than, than something that I wanted to do. I mean, it was just a method, right. To keep me isolated and only socialize within that, uh, circle of friends that she would bring to the marriage. And that was also something that just kind of bit me in the ass really at the end. Um, because those same friends, um, I would, uh, think I thought first, you know, I could reach out and I could talk to them, but no, they were, they were, they would offer that that, that false sense of support, um, and then immediately report back anything that I said. Um, let's see, one-sided, uh, uh, support, right? Wanted would sometimes demand support. And I, I gave it unconditionally. I really did. I mean, I would ask questions, but it wasn't in a way that I was going to deny support. It was, that was being part of being supportive was, you know, thinking things through. Um, and rarely, uh, would I get credit for what I, for what I did privately and, uh, and, and never publicly. Um, we had a business together. We, you know, and I, I the, the, the idea of the, I came up with the idea of it. Uh, she contributed the name. Um, I, it showed her, you know, Hey, this is the best way we should set it up, get it going. Uh, I would run the numbers. I was developing marketing strategies. I would buy equipment um, I even was increase, you know, working to increase the margins to, to maximize profit, but she rarely ever referred to me publicly on any of the social media with the business. And in our last year together was increasingly making posts about how, you know, this woman owned veteran business and she was the sole owner. And, oh, people think that my, you know, my husband's in the military. Well, well, we both owned the company and we were both veterans. So, you know, you can, you, I don't know why that, you know, but it was, a, it was a stance. He was making a statement, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Trying to, you know, uh, show herself off on social media in that way, but it was making a statement. It was letting me know like, you know, where I was on that pecking order and the other uh, money or another example, money. Uh, she budget for herself. Uh, would complain about spending money on us and, or would demand uh, repayment. You know, if she spent, spent money on us on some kind of something big, she would demand that I repay it. Although, you know, you know if I asked for it, no, 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 I got my own debt, you know, that kind of shit. Um, yeah, so uh, in her feelings... That was the big one. I mean, it, just, it was one side. Her feelings and emotions were prioritized. Mine were gaslit. You know, that, the last, that, that last July that I've spoken about, it was a few, is that this, you know, a, 
try to recall. Um, it was a few days after uh, that 4th of July incident. And if you don't know that story, go check out Emotional Devaluation Part 2, um, and you'll get it. Um, and I was, I, I was, de- I remember I was detailing how, um, you know, the humiliation and all that had been a pattern over several years and how, um, and I, and I had been telling her multiple times, both in person and in text, uh, that I did not, you know, I wasn't feeling heard or validated, uh, when I came to her about my feelings. And I remember she asked me to text her, text her again with exactly what it was that I was needing. And I know I sent her a text that said exactly this. I need to be validated, loved, desired, and heard. And her response to that was, okay, followed with, I need to be validated, loved, desired, and heard. And then went on to would tell me, like, I needed to come up with a plan, right, to make sure that my angry responses to her abuse, you know, never happen again. And then I had broken all of the trust that she had in me. Now, this is the same woman, you know, who had recently started cheating on me, had been uh, caught hiding a, a bunch of men that she had been secretly talking to, had recently been caught lying and framing an innocent man of harassment, and had recently been called out uh, because of the hurt um, her humiliation had caused me. And that now is telling me that my responses... Um, to all of this, you know, broke her trust in me. And I needed a plan to make sure it never happened again. Um, she never addressed, honestly, uh, what, the, what I had said, like my needs, the I need validated love, desired, and heard. Um, and even though she asked me multiple times to repeat it to her, um, she just turned it back around, um, said that she needed the exact same things, demanded that I correct my responses to her behavior, um, and continue talking about herself. So yeah, it was it was very one-sided. Um, the second thing is I just never felt good enough, right? Like everything felt like a competition or a comparison, right? Um, I was like, I felt like I was always constantly trying to prove myself as being some kind of worthy. Like I I just never really felt good enough. Uh, she would she would constantly bring up her ex-husband at random times. Uh, that was not fun. Usually during a, some type of intimate conversation about emotions or even sex, you know, just leaving the impression of a comparison, even if she never really outwardly said that it was a comparison. Another uh, was uh, my MBA. When I was accepted in the MBA program, oh yeah, this is, this is the competition thing. I was accepted. And I was excited. I'd been waiting on it, and the day came, and I got my acceptance letter. And I was excited. Ah, babe, look, I got it. I got it. I was, I was proud of myself. That, that, that pride was uh, responded with a quick congratulations. You know, that's awesome. Good job. Hey, I need you to check your email in a little bit, and uh, can you respond to that? Because I really need some help on it. She had gone and applied to the PhD program that same day and wanted me to type up one of the referrals or reference letters um, that to submit uh, the remainder of the application and, and would go on and would go on and say as a joke, of course, uh, multiple times that, Oh, we can't have the same level of education in this house and that was, um, that was, uh, that, yeah, that was my congratulatory moment, you know, kind of, I was, I was happy, I was proud, but then I had to stop um, uh, being so happy because I had to go type out a, you know, re- a reference letter for her PhD program, which I never completed or entered into because, uh, as I learned later, you know, hey, how are we, how are we paying for that? You know, where's that 16 grand per semester coming from, especially when you can't work for the first year? Oh, right. So you decided to apply for this on the day that I got my MBA acceptance, having never fully thought through getting it. So, I mean, you kind of figure out real quick why she did it. It was just to devalue and take away from what I had done. So, so I never really never really felt good, uh, good enough. And, um, 
Yeah. So I guess, I guess two things, not three. So it was one-sided. It was a one-sided deal. Um, and it was just something that felt like a competition that I never really felt about. So that was kind of the relationship dynamic uh, the entire time. All right. Uh, when you look for partners in the future, what qualities are you seeking out? And how did you come up with these qualifiers? When I look for a partner in the future, I, I, I'm, I'm really not. Uh, I'm open to it if it, if it naturally happens. Uh, I'm not just going to go seeking it. I'm not chasing. Uh, but what qualities am I seeking out? I'm seeking out honesty. I think that's important. Honesty, openness, um, a, a commitment to communicating, you know, listening, um, and uh, a, a desire to work through conflict if it arises, right? So, I mean, that's, that to me is, a, is of utmost, right? Honesty, loyalty, respect for each other. Um, healthy conversations, a commitment to growth, um, and, and, and commitment to um, resolving conflict. You know, uh, how did I come up? I came up with that from just everything that I realized was missing um, in my previous and, uh, and, and from learning um, through, through healing. And I appreciate those things. Those are the things that, that, that matter to me. They, they have meaning you know, in, in a relationship. So yeah, those are the things I look for, uh, in a partner for the future, whenever they arrive. How do you approach a new relationship with the preconceived perceptions that come from past long-term relationships? Ah, wow. Good. Um, that's, you know, that's something that I'm going to have to keep in check, right? you know, punishing someone else uh, for the behavior of another person. And it's just not fair. It's not fair to do. Uh, but you do get jaded. You do get cautious. You do get, you know, kind of pulled within yourself, um, protective. You know, you put up a wall, I guess they say. So, you know, having, I'm going to, ha- you know, you just, you don't, you know, you, you, you don't bring those in. Now, they will help you bring the lessons from them, right? But you don't bring somebody else's baggage and damage and apply it to somebody that hasn't, you know, done anything to earn it. Uh, so that's how, I, that's how I, I, you know, how I think I'm going, you know, how I want to and how I will approach Um Again, it's just not fair. Just because I have a trust issue with one individual, you know, that doesn't mean that everybody afterwards gets punished for it. Because it's not fair to them. They didn't do anything. They didn't, you know, f- behave that way. So it's just not fair to them. Um, and, and, and it's not fair to yourself, really, to, you know, kind of hold somebody else accountable because you probably couldn't get that done with the person that did it. You know, so it's not necessarily forgiving them, but it's pushing that aside and putting it where it belongs. And that is not in any new relationship. So that's the approach. I'm not bringing it in. Um, lessons come, lessons come with, but the uh, blame and the accountability for someone else's behavior, nope, that stays out. Got to keep it out. Next one, you are getting closer Ah, to another year older. Indeed, I am. How do you view your own mortality, given where you were a year ago versus where you are now? I love life, and I'm glad I chose it. Uh, I'm glad I'm here. I know other people are. And I know that it would have been a massive, massive mistake um, had I not made that choice. But I do. I love it. Again, kind of with the last answer, you know, having one person, which is not a great sample size of the whole, having that one person uh, dictate your outlook on life is, you know, just it's just you're robbing yourself. So I view my own mortality. I, I feel I have a lot to offer. Um, I have a lot to learn. 
and I have meaning and purpose. And so I want, uh, I want to keep going for as long as, uh, as long as I naturally can. And, and so my, my own mortality is I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of death. I mean, it's going to come, uh, but I'm going to enjoy the life that I have and the, and the unwritten future that I get to author as much as possible. Um, going you know, for every, every day, just, you know, one day at a time, you know, taking it one step at a time and I'm going to enjoy every bit of it. And it's always great. I always like, I always say this, I take my, I love, you know, adventures are great when, when you have others with you. So, you know, expanding your friend group and taking your core group of friends with you along the way. If you're successful, you know, take them with you. They're, they're, they're successful because you wouldn't get there without them. You know, if you got that core group that's been advising you and keeping you sane and keeping you healthy, you need to take them with you. So, um, embrace, embrace the life, understand that mortality is a, I mean, it's, it's going to happen, you know, but embrace the life and the time that you have and don't short it, uh, by, by making, you know, horrible decisions because you don't think you have value or you don't think you have purpose because you do, and you have power, you have so much power. Um, and that power to author that future is fucking phenomenal and, and it's so strong. So embrace it, love it, live it, you know, live, laugh, love, whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's how, I, that's how I view my own mortality. You know, a year ago, I, I kind of felt hopeless and here I am now and, you know, having the best time of my life. I'm happy and uh, I'm just embracing and I'm looking forward uh, to what I don't know. I'm looking forward to the uncertainty and, and the kind of adventures that I can take myself on. Okay, well, I guess this is a good segue into the next one. What do you think is the meaning of life? I, yeah, the meaning of life is an individual definition. Um, it is, you know, it, what do you find meaningful to you? Each of us has the power to define that. Each of us individually has the power to define or to, de- to first determine and then and define what is meaningful um, to ourselves. So if you go chasing after meaning, you're never going to find it because you haven't defined it, right? You can't chase something that you don't really know exists. It's like chasing success. Well, what does success mean to you? You know, if you're chasing just after something arbitrarily thinking you're going to, you know, that's how you're going to learn it. No, you need to define it. You need to determine what it is and define it for yourself and then go for it, live it daily. So what is meaningful to you is my question back. For me, um, doing things to help others. I love helping others. I find value and meaning in that easing the stress of, uh, of other people, um, um, the, the suffering of others, um, helping others, just, you know, fulfilling them, right? Giving them some, some kind of a, a nicety that they can, you know, feel good about. So for me, I find value in that, of being nice to other people, helping them out. I also find value and meaning in learning, as I've said before. I'm always striving to learn. So there's meaning in that for me. I get meaning um, in life by learning and loving. I find meaning and value in loving other people, right? So if I'm daily doing things uh, to help others or to learn more for myself um, and to love others, then I feel I'm contributing positively in some way uh, to, to either society, to, to another person, um, maybe to the globe, I don't know, uh, you know, but doing things, um, you know, that mean that, that mean that to me, um, I feel is a positive contribution. So I want to at least leave this world when it happens, um, having contributed positively on a daily basis by doing the things that I find meaningful in myself. And all right, this will be the last one. As you've had your podcast live now for about 90 days or more, 
And through the episodes you've done thus far, which have centered around emotional abuse, and you've highlighted many of your own personal experiences with it as a victim and survivor, where do you see your podcast going in the next 90 days, six months, a year, five years? What is your vision for this podcast? Uh, so I made the choice starting out uh, to uh, tackle that topic of emotional abuse. One, because I, I knew it. You know, I lived it. I knew it. It was something fresh on my mind, and I had a lot to say. Uh, but it, it was also so that I could uh, figure this, you know, figure out the little kinks in this thing, the production value, the, the, the hardware, the software, all that stuff that goes into it, the sound issues that I've uh, hopefully have corrected. Um, and, and to kind of just get things um, put together in a good framework and uh, just to have a good vehicle to, to move forward on. So as, uh, as, as this uh, podcast continues to grow and as I continue to do episodes, uh, I'm going to tackle more topics. I know, and I've talked about in the past, that I, I have a psychiatrist uh, friend who th that, that was the genesis of this idea to begin with. And our discussions on um, predominantly the, like the military suicide epidemic and uh, fixing the national mental health care crisis. So we're going to have uh, many episodes uh, with, the, uh, with, with the two of us uh, talking about those topics. Um, I have interviews planned with, with others, some from just from their profession want to talk, uh, others that want their story shared. There are many that have actually reached out that, you know, have stories that they want to share, but they're just not there yet with um, being able to speak it. So I'm working with them to... Uh, get those put down in writing, and uh, may be the voice for them, um, whichever fleshes out. So there's uh, the, the it's kind of a wide open thing, right? The vision for the podcast it, it it's gonna it's gonna stay centralized based on um, sharing stories and having conversations, right, with people and their experiences and their and their uh, you know lessons that they want to pass on, so that we can learn from each other. Um, and share, share knowledge that way. So the vision for the podcast is going to continue to grow. I'm going to bring more people on. I'm going to continue to talk about things of interest. There's going to be some mental health uh, discussions. There's going to be, you know, some, probably some history lessons at some point, some, some science discussions, uh, you know, relationships, uh, love, and um, yeah, just kind of whatever, whatever's out there and what, uh, whatever you all want to hear about, we'll talk. So that's uh that's that's the vision for the future, and I guess that uh, that that's going to wrap up this episode. So what, we're episode six coming to a close. I've had I guess seventeen questions. So, or I don't know who's keeping count. I I lost count. Uh, but again, uh, I do appreciate everybody that submitted something and um, wanted uh, to get some feedback from me on it and to hear my thoughts. I hope uh, you got got a little bit bit of something that you can use. And uh, I do appreciate every single one of you for, for joining me and for listening and, uh, you know, staying, staying with me. So we're going to keep going, and I can't wait to talk to you again next.